come. Walk down the winding path. Don't mind the spooks and monsters. They stay hidden within the trees. There are mysteries in this world that you need to know, and paranormal truths that need to be told. Come, step up into the caravan, where we share tales of old, as well as new accounts about things you thought only existed in your nightmares. Welcome, dear traveler, to Lortober Eves. I want to thank our Patreons, Jose Maguina, Freder Mutada in Lumine, Natalie, Joseph, Victoria, Donna, Kadrick, Jim, and Robin for signing up with us. Make sure you check us out on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube under the name The Caravan Library of Lore. And please don't forget to rate and review. Without further ado, our guest tonight, Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony, psychic explorer, also known as the psychic lawyer, is a fourth-generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He is an Oxford-educated attorney licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. This psychic explorer travels to mystical locations in remote corners of the world to examine ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomena. Mark appears nationwide on TV and radio, including CBS TV's The Doctors, Gaia TV's Beyond Belief with George Norrie. He is the co-host of The Psychic and the Doc on the Transformation Network. He is a featured speaker at conferences, expos, and universities, which include Brown, Columbia, Harvard, and Yale. Mark Anthony is a columnist for Best Holistic Life magazine. He is the author of The Afterlife Frequency. His other best-selling books are Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity. All right. Well, today we have Mark Anthony with us here inside the caravan. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us. Well, thank you, Lady Anne. It is an honor to be here. And I've been looking forward to this because I, I just I just really like your energy. And I, I know this will be a fun interview. Oh, thank you. Me too. I've been looking forward to it as well. And I'm really interested about your new book, The Afterlife Frequency. In it, you said that you grew up psychic. When did you first realize this? I was about three and a half years old, and I started seeing invisible friends, except for the oh. fact that my mom and dad could see them too. <laughs> okay. Wow. And yeah, both of my parents had these abilities. It runs for generations in, in the family, on both sides of the family. And uh, I've done the research and been able to track it back into the 1890s, both on my dad's and my mother's sides of the family. And it probably goes back further than that, but it's just that, you know, records and, and the accounts of the, the people that I had to talk to, a lot of them have passed now. It, this is literally in my DNA. And for people need to understand that my family wasn't like 
a group of um, people wearing turbans running around going, oh, we'll read your fortune. My dad was <laughs> right. a, yeah, dad was a Navy SEAL, okay? Um, and he was a NASA wow. engineer. And my mother was a commercial illustrator and an artist. And this is a genetic trait that runs in the family. In fact, um, it was even documented in 2016 PBS did a special called The Italian Americans. It was like, a, I think it was a four hour special, two hours one night, two hours the next mm -hmm. night. Well, my mother's family had emigrated from Italy and my maternal great grandmother, Giovanna, mm -hmm. was known in the Italian New York, New Jersey community as the woman who knew things. They actually did a segment about her in this PBS special on The Italian Americans. And, and it was really, it was amazing. I remember watching this, you know, with my, with my siblings. And was like, oh, my God. And they're showing pictures of our family and footage and, and talking about her and her, what we now would call psychic abilities. So, yeah, so this has been just part of me from day one. That's incredible. That's really amazing. And it's so interesting. So how was it different then growing up with parents that were psychics? Because one of my things and something that I talk about on the show a lot is how important it is when your children come to you and they're telling you, hey, I've seen this or I've experienced this or felt this. A lot of the times there and I understand it, we can be afraid. So then we're wanting to discount that. For me, I always felt that it was extremely important to talk to my kids and be like, OK, what did it look like? And ask them about their experience and really provide that support. Because if you tell them this stuff doesn't exist they, and they have a really intense experience, that's going to traumatize them. I, I would agree. Absolutely. And, you know, you've got three kids, so so you mm -hmm. completely understand. I think that uh, for parents who are listening, whose children start saying, you know, I see this or I hear that, you hit the nail on the head, Lady Anne. Listen to them. Mm. Let them mm. tell you about it. You know, was it scary? Was it uplifting? You know, because it's not unusual for children to have, quote unquote, invisible friends. And then but if the child says, I'm hearing voices that take me that tell me to take an axe and kill everybody. All right. Now, that's not spirit contact. That, that could be <laughs> right. a severe. That's, that's a severe mental disorder. And I don't uh, mean to sound facetious mm. by saying that it's you know, you've got to listen. Don't jump to conclusions. And then if the child starts talking about maybe deceased loved ones in the family, particularly ones that they never met. So let's say that one of your kids right. starts talking to you about one of your grandparents that may have passed that that child has never mm. met and starts giving you a fair degree of accuracy and not just things maybe that they heard over the dinner table, you know, with other family members talking. Right. Then, you know, you may have a medium on your hands and, uh, you know, don't freak out. Oh, it's, you know, and the people jump in, you know, oh, my gosh, it must be demons talking. To them. <laughs> Let, let's stop it with that nonsense right. and realize that some people are very sensitive to to frequency. That's one of the reasons my, my book is named The Afterlife Frequency, because we all have the ability to be sensitive to frequency and to energy. It's just that some people are, are more sensitive about you know, with it than others. Right. No, that's very true. I'll never forget when, so my grandfather, he passed away in 2011. I only had two children at the time. And my youngest, after he had passed, so there was something that he did just for me when I was really little. He always went to the little, there was a um, 
you put the coin in it and you turn it and a little egg comes out and then the egg there's a you know a different prize well these ones were dinosaurs because i always loved dinosaurs so he would come home from the store and he would surprise me with different dinosaurs well i never told anybody that it just never really came up it wasn't pertinent and one day after he passed my daughter comes to me and she says Papa Don, he's got dinosaurs in his pocket. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. There you go. Perfect. Right? <laughs> that is exactly what I'm talking about. There you go. There's a verifiable yeah. fact that that child did not know. Exactly. It's just chills. Just chills. Now, I'm really curious about, so a psychic lawyer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I laugh because it certainly is a conversation starter <laughs> or, or yeah. ever, depending on who the person is. <laughs> right. So tell me more about that. People think that all lawyers are these vampiric blood sucking monsters with no soul. And <laughs> yeah. I have to say that there are several uh, having been in the, the practice of law. And that mediums that, you know, were running around in fields of daisy, flinging granola, singing kumbaya. And um, there actually are people that do things like that. Or, but all joking aside is that I was born a medium. And initially, Lady Anne, I was drawn to the spiritual. I wanted to go into the mm -hmm. clergy, which is not unusual oh. for, for a medium. We're surrounded by spirits. We want to learn more. But I could see that it was so filled with rules and regulations and and it was very restrictive and that I decided not to do that. So I decided to become an attorney. Now, I, the joke I like to make is I jumped out of the regulatory frying pan into the legal fire, <laughs> you know, um, because uh -huh. we talk about rules and regulations. But the thing is, what does a lawyer do? A lawyer helps people through very difficult times. And uh, I was a prosecutor, then a criminal defense attorney, as well as a, a complex civil litigation lawyer. So I help people cope with traumas in their life, such as getting arrested or getting severely injured or, or harmed in, in some other way. And what does a medium do? A medium helps people cope with the passing of a loved one by facilitating communication between the bereaved loved one and their loved ones in spirit. Right. And both jobs are about evidence, because as right. a lawyer, you certainly have to present verifiable and very strong evidence to prove your case. And it's the same thing with the medium. You have to produce evidence to substantiate the identity of the person coming through and uh, to help validate the messages that uh, he or she or they are transmitting. And right. so... I found that there actually is a link between the two because it all revolves on helping people and evidence. And right. even though a lot of lawyers have this rap as being these cold-hearted, you know, blood-sucking monsters, I've found that really the best lawyers relate to clients on a personal level and have mm -hmm. empathy. And certainly that's right. the, that goes without saying with mediums. You have to have those, those traits to, to mm -hmm. relate to your clients. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And have you ever used the ability during a case? Have you ever merged the two? You know, it's part of my skill set, so it kind of splashes over uh, quite a bit. Just for the record, mm -hmm. while I, I do appear on radio and television as a legal analyst now, uh, particularly mm -hmm. in cases where the paranormal and the legal system collide, which, is, which actually happens more than you might think. I, I'm a regular guest. By regular, I mean, you know, once or twice a year on Coast to Coast AM radio with George Norrie because he likes to do this bit with me called Haunted Real Estate. 
In other words, oh. you know, people trying to sell a house or people that want to buy a house that has a haunted reputation. You know, and the right. question is, do things that go bump in the night bump up property values or do they bump them down? Coast to Coast always gets a, a big kick out of that, but that's only one of the things that I do there. When I was practicing law full time, certainly my abilities and insights would come in play. And in fact, in my new book, The Afterlife Frequency, I give several examples of what it was like practicing law and being a medium at the same time. That's incredible. Well, it certainly uh, made for uh, an interesting uh, avocation. Um, you know, when I was a prosecutor, it w when I was a young, mm -hmm. young prosecutor, fresh out of law school, and a prosecutor, and so some people don't know what it is, you know, wh where right. did you get your clients? Well, the police would arrest them, and then we would bring forth the evidence to put, you know, to convict them or let them go mm -hmm. if the evidence didn't support that. But uh, when they would bring in people that had been arrested, and I'd be assigned to what's called first appearance. You know, you have to go in front of a judge mm -hmm. within 24 hours when you've been arrested, and then the judge determines, should I release this person on their own recognizance, you know, the ROR, mm -hmm. or should I um, issue, let them be able to post bail, post a bond. And what right. would happen is before I'd get the police report, I'd say, okay, this guy's, he's a child molester. All right. This one is drunk driving. All right. This one. And, and my co-counsel's be like, how do you know that? You haven't even looked at the reports mm. yet. And they're looking at the right. reports. Going, You're right. You know, and the thing is, you know, I would just pick up on these things. So it kind of got to be this right. thing that Mark knows these things. And it was a bit of a thing in the office. So they knew that I had these insights and, and I could go on and on and tell stories about that. But all of those are, are in my books, Never Letting Go, Evidence of Eternity, and of course, my new book, After, The Afterlife Frequency. Right. Now, has that ever made it difficult for you in the sense of making you question if you want to continue that line of work? I mean, for me, somebody who is sensitive and who does pick up on things, originally, so I was in search and rescue and I was going to be going over into the police field. And after some of the stuff that I encountered, especially out on search and rescue, it changed my mind. And I decided not to do it because it was too, it was too heavy. It's very grueling, very draining. I've, you know, I've consulted on a number of high profile cases, murders, and, mm -hmm. you know, you get a lot of insights. And the thing about mediumship is when a spirit connects with me, one of the first things that they transmit to me is how that person died. And I'll, mm. I'll see things, hear things, feel things. I get physical sensations. And, mm. you know, especially when you're working on murders, you know, how mm -hmm. the person died is generally not very pleasant. Speaking of which, I remember right. one time I was doing a reading for somebody and this guy came through. I said, he's on a father level. And she said, OK. And I said, I feel mm. like a boat and I feel like I'm falling into the water and it's dark. And I said, this is going to sound creepy. I said, but mm. I feel like there's sharks everywhere. And so oh, wow. she started kind of like getting really upset. And I go, I'm sorry. She goes, well, she said, I had this uncle and he was on some boat at night. And then all of a sudden he like disappeared. And they assumed that he fell off the boat and his body was never found. And I'm like, OK, oh, wow. yeah. And it's like and, and I don't even want to describe the sensations that were associated oh. with his passing, but it was pretty grisly. And wow. you know, so so that's one of the difficulties of being a medium is experiencing things like that. But mm -hmm. on the flip side of the coin, that also brought some resolution to the family. Oh. Um, I don't know how right. happy that made them. But then again, when I'm able to make a connection with somebody oh. and a loved one comes through, let's say a parent who, you know, God forbid, has lost a child. The messages that are transmitted are verifiable facts. They bring peace 
healing, resolution, messages of love, and right. to see and feel some of the pain and anguish come right. out of the bereaved loved one, that's what really matters. That's what this right. is all about. That's true. Now, have you ever had an experience where a spirit has come to you that doesn't want to leave? No, never. You know, I hear a lot of people say things like that. To me, it's like I turn it on and I turn it off because you have to learn that discipline. Uh, mm -hmm. I know a lot of maybe teens and people in their early mm -hmm. 20s that I'm a medium and they come to me all the time. They run around and, you know, and it's like these goofy TV shows where people <laughs> run into somebody that's, you know, in a grocery store and runs up to them. Oh, I'm a medium, blah, 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 you know, and starts flinging a <laughs> reading at them. Well, first off, you know, right. that, you know, first off, um, that's unethical to do because that person is at a grocery store to pick out, you know, cantaloupes or apples or whatever, <laughs> not to all of right. a sudden, you know, engage in, in spirit communication. Secondly, right. a lot of those shows you have to keep in mind are scripted and there's an entire film crew there. And that two minute reading probably took four to five hours to film. Everybody right. in the background has to sign releases so their face can be on there. Mm -hmm. And there's all these different camera angles and lighting and sound and makeup's all perfect. Yeah. Tell me that just happened in, you know, two minutes. <laughs> um, you know, because right. it doesn't. I mean, I'm on TV a lot. I, I know. I know. And I see this, you know. And so that gives people a misconception of what mediumship really is, you know, and it isn't about just going up and flinging a reading on somebody. And it's unethical even for people who are highly gifted to just go and just give a reading to somebody who didn't come to them for it, didn't ask for it, or wasn't open to it. Um, because it can be very unsettling. And oh, yeah. also, you don't leave the doors and windows of your house open 24-7. Mm. So why would you leave your brain open 24-7? And to me, it denigrates the quality of the contact if you're constantly open. So you set the right. parameters. You let the afterlife frequency know, I'm either doing this or I'm not. And uh, spirits right. will respect that. And in fact, it enhances mm. the quality of the contact when you do that. That's wonderful advice. Thank you for that very much. Now, you're also known as the psychic explorer. How did that happen? Yeah, it's funny. The media loves uh, giving me all sorts of nicknames. Um, that one I really like. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good with the psychic lawyer, too. And I've always had an intense interest in uh, the study of the afterlife, the study of belief systems, the study of God. I've also had an intense love of archaeology, history, philosophy, theology, culture. So I've spent quite a bit of my life traveling around the world to explore ancient mysteries. You know, I remember like oh. when I first time I went to Loch Ness. I mean, I was just like, oh, you know, wow. and I'm so disappointed that I didn't see some monster, you know, <laughs> your, your, grandpa, you know your grandfather with the dinosaurs and, and all right. that. But, but, but I mean, it was it was fantastic in and of itself. And mm -hmm. and going to various like ancient ruins and temples and studying this and feeling it up close. And yeah. so that's why I appear on a lot of shows like this one to discuss ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomenon. And so um, because I travel and do all these things, I got labeled the psychic explorer. So nice. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love it. So okay, two questions. Number one. Where is your favorite place that you've ever traveled to? And where is the place that you've traveled to that had the most profound experience for you? 
Ooh, wow. These are good questions. Okay. <laughs> the favorite place I've ever, you know, there's been so many, you know, as soon as you said that three places sprang to mind, Paris, France, mm. Maui in Hawaii. Oh. And Venice, uh, oh. Venice, Italy. Venice just, there's a magic to the place. Mm. Paris was hauntingly familiar. And yes, I oh, do wow. believe in reincarnation. And I remember mm -hmm. the first time I was in Paris, we got off at the train station and then you take this escalator up and I saw the Arc de Triomphe was like the first thing that I saw. And a voice mm -hmm. came in my head that didn't sound like the voice I normally hear in my head. And it said, oh. I'm home. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. You know, it's just, Paris just seems so familiar. Right. Not that not that my French is is very good at all. And I would say things that people would look at me. There'd be a delay. They'd burst out laughing, but they did understand <laughs> what I was saying. It was like parlez vous français. You know, I, I remember one of the funniest things I heard. This is on uh, my second or third trip to Paris. I was staying in this hotel, and you know how, like, if we're we're watching a uh, a commercial about a French restaurant, they go come uh -huh. to the French restaurant, and talk <laughs> croissant, you know, you know, they speak yes. English with this French accent. Well, there was a, there was a commercial in France about football. It goes oh. football, the American. They were speaking French with a Brooklyn accent, and I'm looking oh, wow. at this, and I'm like, so that's how they imitate us. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. But but you that would know, be I mean, quite I, the experience. It, it was it was quite the experience. But there have been other places I've been to, like Kyoto, Japan, is just elegant and beautiful city. It's the center, if you will, of Japanese Zen Buddhism. And there's temples all over the place in these incredible Zen gardens. And I remember I was traveling with a friend, uh, Billy, and he had been living in Japan for some time teaching English. And so we're at the Zen garden and it's beautiful. Okay. And Zen gardens, it's all those little stones where, you know, the Japanese uh, Buddhist monks, they arrange patterns in the stones around like a larger stone or around bonds trees and it's like perfect meticulous i mean yeah. i mean these people don't allow weeds to grow anywhere i mean right. <laughs> it is just like beautiful and i was looking at it and he goes just let it happen i go what do you mean he goes let it happen and so he walked oh. off and he was doing something else so i'm sitting there and all of a sudden i realized mentally i was somewhere else and then i mm -hmm. understood ah so that's the power of this is when you just stop thinking and let yourself mm -hmm. go it's as if I was transported into this oh, wow. different frequency and it was just the most amazing experience. And so I would say that Kyoto, Japan is also on my list of uh, favorite places. I mean, we could be here all day um, <laughs> me talking about those. Now, the question number two that you asked, the one with the most profound, I was a 19-year-old college student. And I was in uh, Munich, Germany. I have to admit, you know, I was a college student. So my friends and I, we were <laughs> hitting the, oh, yeah. the beer gardens and we went to the Hofbrauhaus house <laughs> and we were drinking the beer. Like, you know. and it's funny because, right. like, you know, German beer is like three times the potency of an American beer. It's like, oh, I had two beers and you're like sick here. So, right. you know, we had, we had a really good time. And then the next morning I was feeling kind of rough. We decided that we wanted to to go. There was about half a dozen of us. Let's go to Dachau concentration camp. 
All right. So here I am, a 19 years old. I'm, you know, somewhat hungover. And we go to <laughs> Dachau, which was one of the extermination camps of the Third Reich. I remember when we got there and we were reading stuff about it. So this was one of the smaller camps. Only 40,000 people were executed there. I'm like, okay, only wow. 40,000. Looking back on it, I could not have walked into a situation in worse shape, okay? Right. Because I wasn't prepared. Yes, I knew I was a medium. Yes, mm -hmm. you know. And then all of a sudden, I started feeling what had happened there. And oh. matter retains vibration. And mm -hmm. so I was picking up on, on what had happened. And I saw myself surrounded by all of these people wearing these striped clothing, mm -hmm. you know, the white and black stripes with their oh. sunken faces and their eyes and the shrieking and the terror. And it was, oh, my God, Lady Anne, I, I was like losing it. And I'm freaking right. out. And I remember I just collapsed to my knees and I burst into oh. tears. And my college oh, yeah. buddies are like, dude, what is your problem? Okay. So here I am, I'm crying, you know, and, uh, and the thing is, you know, we were college students from all over the world, but there was a friend that was with me. His name was Dave. And he came over and he grabbed me by the arm. He goes, okay, buddy. He goes, we're, we're getting out of here. And he knew about me and he knew about my family. He goes, Mark, I don't know what was going on, but obviously you were experiencing something and I couldn't, he goes, you were being tortured and I could right. not let you do this. And what it was, I wasn't prepared for this. OK, I was hung over. My defenses were down. I wasn't shielding myself from from the negative vibration of what had happened. And I started seeing all these people who had been slaughtered there. And he got me on a bus and we got back to Munich and, you know, we just passed it. All. He just said, oh, yeah, my Mark just, you know, he's just partied too much last night. So that was absolutely, absolutely horrific. Now, I've been in other uh, other situations like that, but I was ready for it. Like when I went to visit Ground Zero a few years ago oh, in New York right. City, I could only really handle it for about a half hour. But I knew I was going there. I knew, obviously, I knew it would happen, but I could feel it. But I will say this, the uh, memorial that they built uh, with the, mm -hmm. the waterfalls yes. has got to be the most tasteful, the most mm -hmm. elegant, I mean, the most beautiful tribute to see this water just flowing into what appears to be eternity. So I really have to give a tremendous amount of credit and admiration uh, to that. So I hope that answers your questions. Um, yes, no, it does so much. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you know, I think about this. I got a funny story along those lines. I don't know how you follow up those two incidents with something <laughs> funny, but I was, <laughs> okay. at the, I was at the Tower of London one time. And it was a dreary late February, early March. It was sometime around there. And it was perfect London weather. It was gray. It was like 40 degrees and drizzling. I mean, it's about as London mm -hmm. as it gets, you know. So I'm walking right. around the Tower of London. Now, the Tower of London used to be where the British royal family lived in the medieval mm -hmm. era and up until the Enlightenment. And then they started building, you know, bigger and less primitive looking uh, palaces, the Tower of London was also where prisoners were sent. So if you got sent to the tower, that was a really bad thing. Yes. So I'm walking around <laughs> and I was thinking about, you know, because I really like history and I knew that, you know, Henry mm -hmm. VIII, you know, we'd all heard about Henry VIII and his six wives. Oh, yeah. And I started thinking, I go, I wonder where Anne Boleyn, his second wife, okay, the queen, oh, yes. the queen. Uh, I, I, go, I wonder where Anne Boleyn, was she executed here? Because I knew he had her beheaded. And I was mm -hmm. just, I don't know why, I was just thinking, thinking so much about Anne Boleyn. So I sit down on this bench and I'm looking around and all of a sudden 
I look to my left and down, and there's mm-hmm. this glass sign, and it's next to the bench I'm sitting on, and it's etched in there, this be the site where Queen Anne Boleyn was executed by order of King Henry VIII. I know, and the only thing missing was a soundtrack going, right? You know, and I was like, (laughs) you know, and I'm looking at this, and part of me's freaking out, and part of me wants to laugh, you know, and the the worst part was nobody was with me. I'm like, oh come on, nobody's. I mean, somebody was with me, but but nobody nobody was there to like you know take a picture of me pointing at the sign and uh, this. But but this was one of those incidents, and and then later, you know, I finally I found out where where Queen Anne Boleyn who is buried on the property uh, in a church. I did visit her gravesite. That was one of those, I mean, I just did not expect <laughs> that oh, to <yeah>. happen. <laughs> That's incredible. It's too bad that nobody was there because that was definitely one of those whoa moments. Yeah, you know, that's one of those, and, and but I, I swear all of that is exactly what happened. So, you know, there have been a number of incidents like that. And, you know, once again, that gets into, you know, what I'm known as a psychic explorer because, you know, I was there and I was studying phenomenon there. That was actually my day off. I thought, well, it's my day off. I'll spend it at the Tower of London. <laughs> right. <laughs> Quite the day off. Now, I'd like to get into uh, the afterlife frequency ask, how is it different from other books by mediums? This book is, it's the culmination of everything that I've done and studied in my life. And how it's different from books by other mediums is that it takes a scientific approach to bridge the divide between faith and science. So we, those of us who study the afterlife, I refer to communication with spirits as interdimensional communication, and the Mm. different types have been categorized. There's been near-death experiences, there's deathbed visions, there's a contact through a medium, there's visitations, there's out-of-body experiences, and they've all been put into separate categories. I don't see that as as what it really is. They're all interrelated and they're all possible based on sound scientific principles. And it can be all this can be explained through quantum physics. So what I've done is explain the different forms of interdimensional communication through scientific facts, through quantum physics, through theory to Mm. explain that interdimensional communication, the afterlife is not only real, but that there is a solid and logical explanation for this. And I've developed new terminology based on 21st century science to explain Mm -hmm. spiritual phenomenon. And the thing is, for for people who are listening to this, you know, when you start hearing, oh, God, quantum physics, the the spoiler alert I have to tell you is please do not expect a dry and complicated read because Mm -hmm. um, nobody wants to read that. And it's Mm -hmm. my job as the author to explain this in a way that people want to read it and also um, to illustrate my concepts with stories to show how this is not only possible, but this is what happens. So this is a serious scientific explanation of spirit communication, and it's been endorsed by some of the top afterlife and survival of consciousness scientists in the world. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, in the new terms that you have developed... Electromagnetic (laughs) soul. You can call it the EMS. (laughs) The EMS. Okay. (laughs) The EMS. Yeah, Yeah, can you explain that? 
Yeah, the EMS, the electromagnetic soul, is one of the signature theories that I'm introducing in this book. And neuroscience is the study of the human brain. And if you study neuroscience and look at a neuroscience textbook, it maybe it's a thousand pages long, yet there's only one or two paragraphs, if that, about consciousness. Consciousness is who and what we are. In the realm of faith, it's referred to as either a spirit as a, or a soul. And the official position, Lady Anne, of neuroscience is that the brain, the organ uh, in our body, the brain creates consciousness, and it does it through chemical reactions and electrical impulses. But neuroscientists have absolutely no idea how it happens. The reason for that is the brain doesn't create the consciousness. It only hosts it very much the way a computer hard drive does not create the programs and the data that are on it, it merely hosts them. And we know from the laws of physics, the, the laws of thermodynamics, that energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. We know from biology that the human body, the nervous system, and particularly the brain has an electrical field. We know from quantum physics that everything on the most basic level, there's molecules that are made of atoms, that are made of electrons, protons, and neutrons, that in turn are made of a minute particle, the building block of everything in our universe, which is quantum, which is electromagnetic energy. So the brain has this electromagnetic field, and the people of faith refer to who and what we are as a soul and a spirit. And think about it. Every major religion believes that the soul pre-exists the body, comes into the body, and then when the body dies, moves on. So right. taking this lifetime of research and the scientific understanding of the brain, of quantum physics, and with consciousness, I developed the term the electromagnetic soul to describe what we really are which is pure consciousness that is eternal electromagnetic energy. So that when our body dies, that EMS, the electromagnetic soul, does not die with the body, it is transferred to a higher frequency, the afterlife frequency. That's just part of it. And I explain this in, in much greater detail in the book. The EMS, and I just gave um, two lectures on this, one for the International Association of Near-Death Studies and then another one for Spiritual Awakenings International. And the talks I gave were very different, but the EMS is also how to explain what happens with near-death experiences, with shared-death experiences where more than one person experiences the same NDE near-death experience, or bystanders of someone who is dying, that they're able to see and experience what the person transitioning is seeing, how spirit communication works, what an out-of-body experience is, and how it is that spirits can and will communicate with people who are not necessarily mediums. And this term is now being used by scientists in the field. They said, Mark, this uh, I've had a couple of them uh, really compliment me on this, which is very humbling and, and a tremendous honor. Yeah. And so uh, the term EMS is uh, getting to be used in the scientific community. So we have the EMS. Now, can EMS, can mine connect to yours? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're all energetically interconnected. That's why. All right. You're a mom. OK, right. So even if, you know, one of your kids is not on a cell phone and something happens to one of them, maybe they, you know, mm -hmm. they trip and fall, get hurt. You kind of know, don't you? 
Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. exactly. Bingo. So then, then this would explain collective consciousness. Absolutely. Collective consciousness is another one of my terms that I'm putting forward, but I'm expanding that in the chapter known as collective consciousness communication. So think mm. of your EMS as a drop of water. And when you okay. die, that drop of water leaves your brain and it plunges into this ocean. And this ocean oh. is the eternal sea of souls. And so now your EMS, and you maintain your individuality. Now your EMS mm -hmm. is interfacing with other souls that are interfacing and linked to other souls, other souls, other souls. So now they're part of this vast information network. And collective consciousness, which is what that is, we know we've all heard the term, we're all cells in the body of God, and that we're all interconnected. Well, this is what that means. And- right. In collective consciousness communication, let's say I'm doing a reading for you and you got four or five spirits come through and then mm -hmm. they start giving you messages, maybe about your health, maybe about what's going on with your kids, uh, something about your well-being. They can bring up, you know, things to avoid and watch out for. That's what I call collective consciousness communication. But it's a mm -hmm. two-way street because I've been conducting events, you know, where I'll, I'll be in front of, you know, a couple hundred people and spirits will come through. Let's say like I was at one event and I got all these, I said, okay, I'm picking up on like six or seven young men. They mm -hmm. all like between uh, 18 and 24 and, mm -hmm. and they all died from suicide. And I, and right. I just was describing this and like six hands go up in the audience. Each one of those families had lost a young man from suicide. So I had this whole group of young men and then they came in in tandem and then they separated out. And so I was drawn to the first family and the spirit gave what he looked like, his name. I mean, just identified, you know, so they all came in together. Right. Also, mm. I may be giving a message to one person or it looks like I'm giving a message to one person in the audience, but it resonates with 15 or 20 other people. I tell everyone, go with that because mm. there's a reason they're piggybacking that message to that person. Right. So even if you don't get a, an individualized reading, if the information coming through is relevant to you, if it touches your heartstrings, accept that. Here's why. Spirits know that I'm a finite human being and that my limited human brain can only handle one concept at a time. But that doesn't keep them from putting several messages in one. And people say, well, that sounds like science fiction. It's like, okay, so the Pentagon sends a message to Camp Pendleton, and mm -hmm. it sends one signal, yet encrypted on that are several encoded, encrypted messages. Look, mm -hmm. if human technology can do this, that's what spirits are doing, except what they're doing is much more sophisticated. This is amazing because I've always been interested in metaphysics and quantum mechanics and consciousness. It was a hard concept for me to really wrap my head around. But this, the way that you've just explained it, can visualize it and I can see it and I can apply it to the other things that I've learned, especially when it comes to oneness and how separation is an illusion. And through what you just explained, it shows it right there. Like, well, yes. And, and the thing is, though, we are individuals, but we're energetically linked to a greater whole. Right. And this gets back right. to everything on the subatomic level is electromagnetic energy, a particle of electromagnetic energy known as a quantum, plural is quanta. So what that means, Lady Anne, is that 
And we also know that everything has a vibration. Okay, so yes. so all the subatomic particles have a vibration. The thing is, right. the desk that you're sitting at, yes, it's an inanimate object, meaning that it's not alive, but at its most basic subatomic level, it's composed of the same form of electromagnetic energy that you are. It's just right. vibrating at a very low and slow frequency, whereas right. you are vibrating at a much higher frequency. And then again, there's the radio waves that the show is being broadcast on. They too are at a different frequency and they too, gee, radio waves are also a form of electromagnetic energy as is light. Gamma rays, X-rays, um, infrared, ultraviolet. So mm -hmm. everything at its most basic level is the same form of energy. Ergo, we are all energetically linked. So, so, so these are some of the things that, that I explain in the afterlife frequency. Try to do it in a way that people can understand and relate to it. Because, right. you know, when I was in law school, I remember suffering through these incredibly boring books, okay? <laughs> right. And then I got out of law school, and guess what? There were even more incredibly boring books. And you'd have these mm -hmm. judges that may be brilliant legal scholars, but they just had no gift for making anything interesting or relatable. And I said, there's no way I'm ever going to do that to anybody uh, right. when I write books, so and with all due respect to the legal profession, and there are some judges who are brilliant writers and and can mm -hmm. explain, you know, great things. And thank you to the two percent of you that are. <laughs> <laughs> so also going off of the consciousness and, and everything, which this really gets me excited and I really want to get my hands on your book. Also, you've said that the afterlife frequency helps people develop a heightened sense of spiritual situational awareness. Can you explain what that is? Absolutely. When I was a, a kid, my dad used to drill into me, be aware. Well, you know, he was a Navy SEAL. Mm. All right. Talk to any first responder, any any police officer, any firefighter or paramedic. Talk to anybody in the military. And situational awareness is a key skill, not just in doing mm -hmm. your job, but also in staying alive. And mm -hmm. that means that you're aware of everything that's going on around you in a sphere. In other words, it's like a 360 degree attention span. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who just sort of plot into a situation without looking. But my dad said, always be aware of your surroundings. And then when I began working very deeply with my spirituality, I realized that it expands even beyond that to not just the material world, but also to the spiritual. And right. spiritual situational awareness is an awareness of what is going on with you in this world, but also energetically around us. So that if you pick up on the, the subtle signs from spirits or you get that feeling or whatever, that uh, gives you the heads up to avoid a dangerous condition, place or person. And so in the afterlife frequency, I explain and teach people how to expand and develop their spiritual situational awareness. That's wonderful. Wow. <laughs> I'm just so excited right now to have you on here and to be talking about this. And it, it's funny because it's very synchronistic as well. It's everything that I've been studying. So that's why the time is right for the afterlife frequency, because right. thing is about this book, the afterlife frequency is not about turning people into mediums. A lot of my colleagues are they become a medium and you're either a medium or you're not now. And I don't mean that in an impolite manner. 
everybody can swim to some extent. Everybody can bang around on a piano. Everybody can do math to some extent. But some people are going to be a lot better at it than others. I mean, I'm not going to sit down and all of a sudden on a piano crank out, you know, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. I mean, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. You know, right. or, you know, I'm not going to pick up a guitar and, you know, do the lead to Stairway to Heaven or, or whatever. <laughs> right. Nor am I going to do calculations um, that rival Stephen Hawking's, nor yeah. am I going to, you know, win even one gold medal, much less two dozen like <laughs> Michael Phelps. But the right. thing is, I can still have those experiences. And so mm. what the afterlife frequency does, instead of trying to turn you into a medium, it teaches you how to enhance your sense of spiritual situation awareness so that when spirits are emitting, uh, transmitting a message mm -hmm. to you, that you can get the most benefit from it. Right. And actually, I do have another question. So this was something that one of my other friends and I were talking about when it comes to personal resonance and your path and your experience here. In some instances, two people can be together. Let's say you and I go to Gettysburg, whereas you might see a full soldier spirit, but I only see an orb. Do you know why that is? It has a lot to do with how we're interpreting the electromagnetic soul or the uh, residual energy echo that we're encountering. So it's like some some mediums are more visual, some mediums are more auditory, some feel things. And so maybe you're seeing an orb because you're sensitive to the energy, you're picking up on that. And as long as you say, well, I'm getting an orb and I feel that this was a soldier, all right? right. Whereas I may get a visual on the soldier. So essentially, we are receiving the same electromagnetic impulse. It's how we interpret it. So, for example, let's say I said the word to you, C, all right? Okay. We speak yeah. English, so when you we hear C, we're thinking S-E-E, -E, right? Like, yeah, I, I did. <laughs> yes. Right, right. What if English was your second language and your primary language was Spanish? That would mean to you, yes. Oh, Okay. Right. That's why in interpreting messages transmitted from the collective consciousness, you've got to be very careful about jumping to conclusions. Let's right. get the information first. And also one message can have more than one level of significance and mean many different things. And people say, well, that sounds like, you know, you're making stuff up. Yeah, but think of words that we use like here. Is it H-E-R-E -E or H-E-A-R? What about W-I-N-D? Is it wind or is it wind? See, we do things like this all the time. We just <laughs> right. don't think about it, you know? Yeah. True. If I said there, is it T-H-E-R-E, T-H-E-I-R, or T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E? The same right. sound with three very different meanings. That's true. And I have to ask, speaking of messages, do you have a spiritual message for the world? Yes, and I want to explain how it came to me. When my mother passed, she died in her sleep from heart failure. It just basically pulled the rug out from under me. And I was practicing law and I was driving back from court. It was about two weeks after she died. And one of those waves of grief hit me. So I thought, all right, mm -hmm. let me pull over. I shouldn't be driving when I'm feeling like this. And I pulled over and I'm sitting there in this parking spot. It was out in front of uh, this little strip mall. I was just, just so overcome with grief. 
And all of a sudden, this flash of light, and it felt like it was in my head, but it felt like it was in the car. And I immediately turned and looked at the passenger seat, and I saw the silhouette of my mother just for a second in the silver white light, and her voice filled my head. And she said, Mark, you have been given the gift of mediumship so that you would not be crushed by grief, but now you must help those who are suffering with theirs. And it is your obligation to help people, and this is the message, understand that God exists, that heaven exists, Mm -hmm. that our souls are immortal living spirits, that we can communicate with those souls, and that we'll be reunited with our loved ones when it is our time to leave this world. Wow. Talk about an aha moment. I broke out into a sweat. I fell back into my seat, and I'm sitting there going, okay. Now, look, you know, I'd, I'd had these experiences my whole life, but this was one of, you know, like getting hit by a fire hose, you know, point blank oh, range. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, I was a senior partner in a law firm. Within a year, all of that was behind me. And then I was doing this full time. So it's not like, oh, the door opened. No, the door got kicked open and I got shoved through <laughs> it. And, and the thing is, right? I've never I've never looked back. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So my message is that God, you know, the divine power exists, that heaven, the afterlife, nirvana, the other side, whatever you want to call it, the you know, the afterlife frequency exists, that our electromagnetic soul exists and is an immortal living being, that we can communicate with souls and that we'll be reunited with our loved ones in the light when it is our appointed time to leave the material world. And that is what my message is. And does this make you all better grieving from a loved one? No, but yes, because nothing can take away the pain from the loss of a loved one. But what we can do is change our perspective on how we react to that pain And I believe that message gives us that perspective that we are only living in the material world for now. Wow. That is powerful. That is beautiful. It's so healing just hearing that. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for writing that book. And I definitely cannot wait to get my hands on it. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's on sale. Um, people can uh, order it at all fine bookstores uh, or Amazon.com. It's The Afterlife Frequency, or you can visit my website to get it, which is afterlifefrequency.com. Also, I invite people to sign up for my newsletter if you want to find out about booking a one-on-one private uh, session with me. I, I do my readings on the phone, which are just as accurate as in-person readings. And all of that is through my website, afterlifefrequency.com. And Lady Anne, I really want to thank you for having me as your guest on the Caravan of Lore podcast. Uh, It's really been an honor. And uh, just thank you so much. And to all the listeners, keep tuning in because let me tell you, Lady Anne, she rocks.
Twist 